really weird. And I, and I actually did think maybe I'm having a stroke. I didn't have what people recognize as the typical symptoms of a stroke. Hello and a warm welcome to you. This is the Young Stroke Survivors Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Stops, and I wear the proud badge of a young stroke survivor. Today on the show, we have a heart-to-heart chat with an extraordinarily courageous woman, Naomi Lamond. Listen as she talks about the day that changed her life forever, her experiences during her hospital stay, and her strenuous but rewarding journey to recovery. We'll hear Naomi speak on rebuilding physical skills, maneuvering through emotional and mental changes, and the strides she took to return to work. It's more than just a story. It's about reshaping life after a stroke and the impact on her relationships and friends. So stay tuned to our Young Stroke Survivors podcast and hear a journey of courage, resilience, and transformation. I had my stroke on June 7th, 2022, and I had a cerebellar stroke, which is a rare type of stroke. So it happens at the base of my two hemispheres in your cerebellum. So it affected more of my balance and coordination and, and things like that. And I had no real symptoms up to my stroke. I went to bed, you know, on on that night and was expecting to go to work the next day. And I woke up at four o'clock in the morning because I had to go to the bathroom, as you do. And I thought, oh, that's weird. I can't even walk. And I thought I can't. And so I thought, oh, maybe I'll crawl to the bathroom. And I couldn't crawl. And I started to vomit and I was quite dizzy and I just couldn't coordinate much of anything oh wow how scary yeah it was it was very scary and And of course you wouldn't think it's a stroke because you're not having the the normal symptoms that we know yeah it's it is weird because yeah initially you don't think it's a stroke and i I just kind of i lay there for a second i thought what what's happening to me because i felt really weird and and i actually did think maybe i'm having a stroke i didn't have what people recognize as the typical symptoms of a stroke and so um, luckily I had a, a flatmate upstairs and I was able to yell out and he heard me because I wouldn't have been able to open the door for the ambulance or call the ambulance or anything because I couldn't. As soon as I opened my eyes, I started to vomit. So he called them, thankfully, and they came in. And same thing. They were like, what did you take? They thought I took something because I wasn't showing the typical signs of a stroke, as you said. And I said, no, I take Well, it, it almost sounds like you're having an allergic reaction to something. Yeah, or they thought, you know, I was having reaction to drugs or whatever. And, and I said, I've taken nothing. I, I haven't. So they, they took me to the hospital and I sat in the hallway for quite a while in Wellington Hospital. And the ED doctor came along and she said, oh, she looked at my face because I didn't know. But my right eye was not moving. And it was my right side was a little bit, my right eye was a little bit droopy. And it, it does that a little bit when I'm tired or or. Now it's still, but she said, put your hands up. And I thought, oh, I can't. And, and my right side was quite shaky and had tremors in my right side. And she goes, oh, shit, I think you've had a stroke. And, you know, did a CT and MRI to confirm that I had a bilateral stroke in my both of my hemispheres. So, yeah, it just it kind of went from there. And they found that I needed a PFO procedure because one of the valves in my heart had it closed. And I think that's how the clot got through. I had no symptoms of clots or anything. You know, I, I was very asymptomatic of anything. And so I was ended up being in Wellington Hospital about three weeks because they wanted to wait for a couple of weeks before they sedated me for the PFO procedure. So I had that. And then I went to Kanapuru Hospital for three weeks to start my physio. Well, to continue with my physio, which they were 
very good. You know, the team at Canapro and Wellington were, were good. Yeah. So, I mean, that's it really <laughs> in a nutshell. That's how it started. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's it's interesting because you know you're having very atypical symptoms of your stroke. Yes, well, similar to, to me, and also I mean I've spoken to other people who've also had atypical typical symptoms. It's it's really interesting that even though we we've got to, you know we have the the that list of things to look out for. Yeah, very often you only experience one or two or none. Exactly, exactly, and I've kind of. You know, I've done a little bit of volunteering with the stroke organization since my stroke, and and I have kind of said to people that they talked to, I said, you know, here here's the fast symptoms that you need to look out for, and you know, but you may not have them, or you may not have all of them. So you know, even if you've got one, or you think you're having a stroke, please go ahead because it doesn't always follow the rules. You know, yeah, of, of what we know a stroke is. You know, so yeah, That's was. Right. It, it was a pretty good lesson to learn, difficult lesson to learn, I guess. Yes. So, so what was hospital like for you? Hmm. You know, it was pretty, I say it was pretty good in, in reflection, you know, it was good. It was, it was tough kind of being down there because I, because I started my physio, I was able, unable to walk initially and it took me a few days even to I mean, I couldn't, the whole time I was there, I think maybe the last week I started to stand without assistance and move without assistance. So it was a challenging in that point. And, and I don't really think that it really hit me. Like I would get a lot of visitors and, and they would leave and go, oh my God, like it's so good to see you smiling. And I felt better because, you know, Naomi is smiling and, and it was almost like, okay, this has happened okay, now what do I need to do? And I really didn't really grieve that process or get really angry. And I've never really questioned my me, why me? It's just kind of always been you now moving forward. But I think that they didn't, they didn't tell you what can happen mentally, how, how it affects you mentally, you know? Yeah. So much is focused on your physical aspect, which I understand because they have to, that's, that's the purpose of, of, you know, they want to get you up and moving and, and do all that kind of stuff and get you back up, get, get that brain rewired. But man, that's, it's really taken a toll, I think, mentally. You know, I'm very up and down a little bit, you know, with my mental component of it all. It's a, I think I struggle more with that on a regular basis. I mean, I'm, I'm reminded physically every day of what had happened because, you know, I am walking and, and, but I don't walk as well as I did. And I'm not yet driving because I'm still dealing with um, balance issues and incoordination issues when I turn suddenly and, um, and I've still got a tremor, you know, in my right side, my right arm. Um, So I'm not able to do what I did with my right arm. Um, So I'm reminded every day, but man, the, the mental component, as you can appreciate is not talked about enough. I don't think. No, I, I kind of feel that as well. Like they, they, everyone really focuses on, you know, making you move again and, and yes. in your arm and hand and, and speech. And yeah, the, the actual, the actual psychological part of the, of what's happened to you is not really touched upon at all. Mm, no, I agree. And that's a big component of it, I think, you know. Oh, it's huge because yeah. you, you have to deal with, losing so much of your old self 
Yeah. And you, you just kind of learning how to readjust and pursue and, you know, and it's just ongoing and, and there's no, I don't think there's a, a finite end to it. You know, I think, I think it's something, you know, we might always be dealing with the physical components and that's, we can accept that to a degree, but there's, I don't think there's a finite to the grief and the and and the mental components either i think you're always going to be dealing with it on some level and you know you have great days and sometimes you don't have great days you know and i always and i just think as much as we do to work on that i don't think that's ever going to be fixed as they say you know part of who we are and it's happened to us and now we just and you deal with it and and you adjust your life accordingly which is Yes, as easy as it sounds. (laughs) And 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 those great days and not so great days are not always predictable either. Oh, they're not. Like you can you can you know for days beforehand you could be absolutely fine and 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 doing stuff and suddenly you have you're hit with you know like a fog of depression. Yeah, or anxiety. Hundred percent. You know, and yeah, you go to bed feeling great, or you wake up and you don't feel great, or you make a cup of coffee and you feel great, and then all of a sudden you don't. And it's, and I think that the fatigue plays a factor in that as well. It's not, it's not the factor, but I do think it does play a factor in that. And and learning to control your energy fatigue was quite hard for me at the beginning, and it still is a bit of a challenge now because I always. You felt like you, you know, you should, there's that word, you know, be doing more than you're doing or, you know, when you didn't, I didn't stop to recognize, okay, where am I at energy level wise? Do I need to stop? And, and stopping was in resting. I don't think I was resting properly. You know, there was this kind of expectation of, well, I, I had this unrealistic, unrealistic expectation maybe of, well, I shouldn't be stopping and resting, you know, and resting is, I'm still going to be active, but I'm going to be resting, you know, it's kind of instead yes. of just going, as you know, just stop, you need to just stop, put your feet up, do nothing. And that's, that's a hard adjustment. It is. And, and, you know, in the past, I, I would push through fatigue. And yes. now, you know, for, for me, I'm, I'm lucky my husband is, is very observant. And if he sees, he can see the physical signs that mm. I'm fatigued, even though I'm trying to push through and being bloody minded, and he he will stop me. That's great. Oh yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think of the, I, I'm I'm single at the moment, so I don't have a partner. But you know, my friends have been very good. Or or they'll say you're tired or you look tired. Like I say, my right eye will start to droop a little bit. And that's what I get. Yeah. I get, do you? Yeah. I get sleepy right eye. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, and it seems like fatigue is uh, the one universal thing all of us survivors have. Mm-hmm. We might have like differing, you know, other deficits and, and, and symptoms, but fatigue and also mental health are the yeah. two things every single one of us experience. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. From my, and, and fatigue, do you find, I guess, I mean, the more you try to, <clears throat> you know, concentrate on something, you use so much, excuse me, so much more energy, and you get fatigued so much faster than you normally would. Yeah, like, yeah. Or if I'm being really creative, I'm, I'm, I'm at the moment I'm writing a, a book and mm-hmm. also a composer. And so when I'm doing either of, either of those activities, in the past I could have spent 
hours, literally hours, you know, screen meals doing them and not even realizing. But now I find, you know, I could do an hour and then I'm I'm shot. I'm absolutely wiped out. I was going back to work currently because a funny story. I broke my left arm, which happens to be my good one, and I'm left-hand dominant, and it's the non-shaky one, so it's a better one. But I broke it um, a few weeks ago. I fell. And then last weekend, I ruptured the tendon in my thumb on that hand. I have a fracture, so, and I need some surgeries. So, so it's like... it's. It's ongoing, and to me, that's I find that quite difficult sometimes. It's just like I'm over the fact that you feel like you take, you know, this old set of one step forward, two steps backwards, you know, and you, yeah. But I'm kind of so I'm not working, but I was working up to 12 hours a week, so two six hour days. But I found, you know, I got so much, it was good, and I physically can't do everything that I did before, but but I found that. Even going to work and concentrating for those six hours made me a lot more tired than if I'm just doing what I do here, you know, for, at home for six hours. You know, it's yep. just, yeah, very different, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just starting now looking to go back to work. I mean, a lot of what I'm doing now is I'm doing contract stuff, but, you know, I'm where I can work from home, but I'm look at, looking at, you know, some part time actually going somewhere. Because I'm I'm two years out of the stroke, so actually two years next week. So, oh. yeah, I'm a stroke baby. You're a stroke baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you have problems communicating or, or with aphasia? Um, with your I didn't have aphasia per se. I sometimes jumble those things up a little bit. Yes, could, people could understand me, but I I would jumble my words or or could I I knew there were certain numbers. But I couldn't remember the sequence of the numbers, you know, initially. And I don't know. And now I occasionally lose my words. But I don't, again, I don't know. I'll be, I'll be 55 next week. So I don't know if it's age or <laughs> from the stroke. So who knows? But yeah, I didn't have, but I never had where I couldn't really speak. So that's a bonus. That's, yeah, yeah very good. Yeah. Um, my speech was affected by the by numbness on the right side of our mouth and also the right oh. tip of my tongue. Oh, really? Yeah. So for the first week, I sounded like I was like incredibly drunk and you did have to really listen to me carefully and I had to speak slowly to, to be understood. But then as my speech came back, it came, I came, came back with a really British accent, like very, very British. <laughs> and then eventually that faded and, and my, my normal accent came back. But yeah. Um, were, you, were you surprised? Like, obviously, you, were you were you had a British accent when you were little? Like, were you yes. born in or something? Yes. Yeah, because yeah, I grew up my first four years there. So I, I did have a very British accent when we left. And so it was really strange and surprising that that accent would reemerge as my speech was returning. That is weird. Yeah, I think, you know, like you say, it's a brain reset really it really seems like a factory reset really there's a lot of things yeah you need to start from the beginning again and hope that you can rewire what you you know what you your brain to late you do what you can do now it's really weird isn't it it's mm. remarkable the brain is a remarkable organ 
It, it really is. Yeah, there's so much that we don't know about it. They don't know about it. And, you know, when I first had the stroke, you know, I would say, you know, I would read a lot and they, you know, they would say, oh, you know, if you're not back to yourself within, you know, six months or a year or, you know, you can never expect that you're going to be back or whatever normally. And I'm just like, wow. And it's changed so much. And then it's like, you know, you, it might take you years to improve. You know, you, I, I feel like I've plateaued at this point, but, you know, people around me said, no, I think you still are improving, but, you know, I might continue that forever. But, you know, I don't, I don't think there's ever going to be a time where you think, okay, I'm, I'm done now. You know, I hope, I hope not. <laughs> like, oh, I think you can think that, but I don't think that's, that's the reality of it. Yeah. I think you can just like be fed up and say, like, I'm, I'm done now. I'm not going to get any more improvement. And, and you probably won't. But I think that, you know what we're saying about the brain i think it rewires itself as, as long as it's being stimulated yes i think it will always rewire itself and i'm seeing you know improvements i mean two years out from my stroke i'm still seeing you know improvements especially with my right hand and i i, I think also you know with the plateaus i think you know i know from being a teacher your learning does plateau mm-hmm. and that's really when people give up because they think that they can't learn any, anymore or they can't do it but it's just a brain taking the information and 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 internalizing it and then off you go again like i'm, I'm still seeing like the physiotherapist and the occupational therapist and you know I, sometimes i'll change up the exercises a little bit and i think that really helps because maybe it's just me improving, but you kind of get to a point where you have no interest almost or lack of motivation. I do anyway of certain exercises and I want it to be different. And I think that even though I haven't conquered this exercise, but let's try this one and see if it's, you know, see if it's different. It gets me kind of thinking a little bit differently or moving a little bit differently. And I think that's a good thing, you, you know, that you're not doing the same thing all the time. Did you experience sensory overload with your stroke? Yes. Yeah. I still do occasionally. I don't like, like I find a lot of people in the small space and, and fluorescent lighting can really affect me. Fluorescent lighting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was, I did some volunteering with the Stroke Foundation a few months ago and it was at the Westpac Stadium. They had fluorescent lighting. And I was just like, you know, after an hour or two hours, it's like, I've got a major headache. I was like, I'm sorry, I have to stop now. It, it was, it's really weird. And that wouldn't have bothered me before, you know. And, you know, I had to travel back to Canada. I'm from Canada. I had to travel back to Canada last year. And I remember being in the Vancouver airport. And I've made this trip several times. And so I know what I'm doing and I know where I'm going. And I had to actually find a quiet place in Vancouver airport and sit down because I got such a headache. And I was like, I wasn't sure where I was supposed to go or what I was supposed to be, you know, where, where do I go or what do I do? And I'm, I'm asking people and I've made that trip a hundred times, you know, and so I know what I'm doing, but I found at that moment, I thought, oh, I, you know, I was unable to kind of figure it out like I used to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you think it's because fluorescent lights flicker? Like they, they flicker really fast, but they do flicker. Mm, maybe. And maybe that flickering, we're, you know, sensing it on some level and, and that constant, you know, flickering is, is what's, Maybe. what's flooding yeah. our brain. Yeah. It's, it's just too much stimulus. Yeah. 
Yeah. Do you know the poem? Oh, geez. Do you know the poem or the, the letter? It's called A Letter from Your Brain. I will send it to you because it's really good. Um, my physiotherapist, uh, my physiotherapist, my psychologist sent it to me. And in the letter, it talks about being overloaded in kind of like it's your brain's way, like when you've got a headache or you're sick to your stomach or, or irritable or confused or something. It's your brain's way of telling you to get your, you know, get your attention and the only way it knows how, really, and for you to slow down or stop, you know, and I think it's really good. Yeah. Yes. I, I, yeah, send me the link or send me the, the information because yes. I'll put this in the show notes as well. Okay. So that okay. people listening, if, if they want to check it out, they can. They can. Yeah, it's, it's, I really like it. I've got it actually on my wall, a few things on my wall that as I recover. So it's, oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, you know, you were, I, I met you briefly just kind of at the Young Stroke Survivors meeting that we have um, on Zoom. And um, we were talking about, you were expressing it as same as me. It's like not this idea of not going to back to work full time, and and I don't want to. Um, yeah. And it's amazing how you like within that. I think that's because you, you 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 might have the same values, but they change. You know, like and I know my psychologist gave me a list of values, and I thought, wow, that's you know, for and you had to grade them from you know, not important, somewhat important, important, and very important. And I did that. And had I done that before my stroke, there were certain values that I could see went from, oh, it's not very important to very important. So it's like I had the same values, but they changed locations since the stroke. And so I think that's part of why I, you know, I don't want to go back to work all time because I'm not really, I don't want to be defined by that anymore. You yeah, know, who I am, but it's like, you know, there's a lot more to life going on than, you know, feeling you yeah. have to work 40 hours I, a week. I really want to be doing lots of little things, like I call it yes. a mosaic career. Yeah. Like a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this. Yeah. Uh, then being full time doing one thing all the time, like I used to, like, you know, being a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. How long were you a teacher for? Oh, my whole career. So, Your whole career. Since, yeah. the, you know, since the Elena Ice. Yeah, same as me. Uh, I've been doing that teching for like 34 years. And it's like, I just don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> you know, I, or, you know, there's very specific areas. Like I used to do anesthesia and work for the surgeon and plus other things. And now I just think, no, you know, if I just did one or two days just working with a surgeon and just doing this, I'm okay with that. But I don't want to do, I have no interest in doing Anything else, you know, the day-to-day part of the routine? I like to do what I do and go home. And I'm like, you, yeah. like a, maybe I volunteer or I want to do this or I want to see what else is out there or, you know, kind of do things because you get enjoyment and you and you value, not because you have to, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I actually think that's kind of healthy. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. So there's one part of this process, and I, I talked about it on the podcast I recorded for myself, but that's like, how is sex for you after the stroke? How is sex for me after the stroke? Because well, it changed for me, and then... Yeah, I mean, I don't have a, a partner now, and I briefly dated briefly, probably last January, and I was really unsure about how that would go. And because of where my stroke was and because it affected both sides of both hemispheres of my uh, cerebellum, it's just... Which is unusual. 
which is unusual. Yeah. So, so my right side, you see it physically more affected. It's tremoring. And my left side is the sensation and my left side is not the same. So I won't like say, for example, if I'm, if I'm doing the dishes or something, I have to test the hot water with my right hand because uh -huh. it feels normal. If I put, you know, I put my left hand at first, go, it's not that hot or it's hot. It doesn't feel as hot. And then I put my right hand and go, oh, yes, it is. You know, so I have to be quite careful. But it's, it's I'm saying, telling you that because it's, it's almost like a split right down my whole body. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've heard that before. Yeah. So, I mean, sex for me is I'm not having it uh, at the moment because I'm not with anybody and I have no desire to have it. And, and when I did have it briefly there, when I was involved with somebody, it was, it didn't feel the same for me because my sensation wasn't fully there, if that makes sense. Yep. It makes total sense. Yeah. So, and I, and I struggled with, you know, the, you know, who's going to, that whole adage, you know, I've had a stroke and I'm not 100% and I, you know, I'm not driving and I'm not doing this and, you know, my arm shakes and, you know, who's going to basically want that? And I realized, you know, well, if there's a person that loves me for me, they'll just take that anyway. In your recovery journey, have you had an issue with emotional outbursts? Because I know that's something I had right early on. Like I had literal five-year-old text and foot stomping tantrums. It's so bright. No, I've, I, I have, that is not something I've experienced. No, no, I didn't have those kind of outbursts. Um, Very lucky. Thought, yeah. Yeah. By the sounds of it. Yeah. No. Because you can't stop them. Like it's so weird. They just, it, they, you just can't stop them. Are you, are they still happening like with the same kind of regularity or? No. And if they do, it's not with the same intensity. It's becoming a lot less and I'm, I'm getting control over aspect of myself again. But, you know, factory reset, I was yeah. like, you know, a terrible too. <laughs> yeah. Having a fit because you didn't like, get, get what you wanted or. Like yeah. That's weird. Oh, I'm glad that that's improving for you. <laughs> I mean, I'm lucky it was never in public. I was only at home. It was so strange, and and, and it it would go as fast as it came, and I would be left just ashamed of myself. Oh, how does your husband deal with that? Like he's brilliant. Like he just oh, looks at me. Nice. He just gives me this look. He doesn't react. He doesn't get angry. He just gives me this look, and and that sort of says to me, I'm doing it again, aren't I? <laughs> and and over time I've just been able to get it under control again. So now I can I can sort of feel it rising. And I just say to say to my husband, I'm feeling, you know, whatever right now. And I'll just like leave the room or or he'll change the subject and usually it just Settled down, settles down again. Oh, but, that's good. That but really, early, you know, first six months was just oh, diabolical. Oh, no. Have, I mean, do you know other stroke survivors who have been through that? Yes. Oh, cool. Yeah. <clears throat> and I must admit, I, I, since the stroke, I do feel and express emotion a lot more. I, I was very, I never cried very much. I never really expressed you know, a lot of emotion. And since the stroke, you know, I'm very easy to cry now. And yeah. I like that. I'm not going to change that. Um, no, no. But other yeah. emotions I've been able to, you know, rein back in again. Yeah, I can I can express to 
the emotional part of it, expressing your emotions. And maybe that goes back to, I mean, maybe that's a, a result of the stroke or like I was saying, the values that, that I have that are taking the forefront and become more important to me and, and how I want to be and live my life. Maybe I, I don't know. I think it's a combination of all of the above, you know? It's just- yeah. Well, one of the things that was really a real light bulb moment for me was I was having physio one day and I was getting frustrated with my arm getting it to work. And the physio said to me, anger blocks your arm from working. Anger gets in the way of healing. So you know, try to not feel angry at your arm, feel compassion or, or, or feel mm. like, like a child learning again. Knowing that really did change. It changed a lot. It changed my whole paradigm. Oh, that's great. And I was able to like, seem the right half of my body being more like a a child learning all these skills again and and yeah i I just learned patience from that so that so that was a a really really good valuable thing to say oh that's actually that's quite quite insightful isn't it yeah it is it is because i never i mean i i guess i knew that Frustration and anger can get in the way of learning, but mm-hmm. but to be told it and to and to see it in action, that was yeah, it was really profound. You were just really, and I guess we do that, and I I understand that to a degree. Like when I go to work or I get frustrated with with the tremors in my right, the more frustrated I get, it's probably worse. Like the harder I try to stop it, the greater it seems to be. <laughs> you know, if I get frustrated, yeah, so, that the more it I, happens. Yeah, and you kind of said, you know, you, you're hanging on so hard and you're trying so hard and you're actually doing more damage than just like letting go of it for now. And like you say, just go back to being like a child and just go, okay, you know. How have your friendships or relationships been affected or evolved since the stroke? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I've got my good group of friends here and they've been wonderful. They've been very supportive and I've got such a variety that, you know, some personalities are, let's go, let's go, let's, you know, not indulgent and other are indulgent when you, when I want them to be or need them to be and they can see that and others are there if you need them, but don't say anything. And so it's, it's quite good. And I think I'm a little bit more, and I think my friends know that. And I've said that to them, like, not that I didn't value them before, but I'm much more aware of the importance of close friends and family than I was consciously aware of before. Did any, because I know for myself, there have been a couple of people I thought were friends who uh, after I had the stroke and even, even like even immediately after the stroke just sort of disappeared from my life, mm. didn't reach out, you know, I, I reached out to them and said, let's catch up and whatever and nothing. Yeah. It's like they were scared to see me after the stroke or scared of the stroke. I don't know. But Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think there is there. I, I can think of, you know, one person in particular and, you know, they visited me in the hospital and stuff and they don't live too far from where I live right now. And since I've been home, you know, I've never heard from this person. I can, I can definitely relate to that. It's, it's a weird, it's a weird thing, but you know, you talk to, you know, mutual people who know this person and, oh, they're asking about you or they want, you know, are you okay? And blah, blah, blah. And so they can ask, but I'm not, I'm, I'm no longer going to reach out to them, you know? It's like, yeah. I want to just focus on the friends and family and people 
who are there and I want to be there and have supported me and I'll support them and just kind of it's really refocused I guess what's who's important and what's important and and why you know do you have family here no all of my family's back home Canada yeah so who were your caregivers after you had the stroke well, my daughter did come for a little a little while. She was in Kenya. She came when she heard. My friends have been really good. And I had, you know, my OT and physio. I did that for a long time. And I'm still doing it, actually. And my flatmate has been helpful as well. And I, you know, I'm a pretty independent person. So I like to try things, I guess, by myself before I'm learning to ask for help more, which is probably also good. Yeah. So I didn't have that full-time, you know, 24-7 caregiver, but people were there if I needed them or wanted them. That's that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Which is very good. Yeah. So when you go home to Canada, how has travel changed for you? Is there anything that you need to do differently or is it pretty much other than, you know, the experience in the airport, pretty much the same? It's pretty much the same. I mean, I've only traveled once since about once I've only been home once since the stroke. I'm going to go home next year. I, I took when I when I went home in uh, January of last year. I had to go home because of a, a very sick parent and a dying parent, and I was still walking with a cane and all that kind of stuff. And I kind of oh, you know, what do I do here? Because I've always traveled economy, and I thought oh, I'm going to try premium economy at least on the way there. You know, from Auckland to Vancouver in. Man, that was, I'm so glad I did because my concern was I thought I need to be able to sleep and rest. And I can't normally do that when I'm yeah. traveling economy. I don't sleep well and yeah. I don't eat well. And so it was kind of important for me to be a bit more present when I got to Canada and get some sleep and look after myself, you know, on my journey there. And um, so I traveled the premium economy on the way there. And, and it, what a difference. I, I certainly would recommend it if you could because, you know, you, you are looked after on with so much more care and detail, I think. Not that they don't look after your economy. It's, it's, I've always buy Air New Zealand back home and they've been, they're wonderful. But man, what a difference from your economy. And I rested. And I even even the basis stuff like, you know how you get off a plane and you feel really rotty and gross and you can't wait to have a shower and premium economy in Vancouver and I thought and I saw to go to Toronto I saw a flight to Toronto but I got up and I went wow like I don't even feel as dirty and like I still showered and stuff but I didn't feel like feeling I didn't have that and they were I just found them really attentive and I think at the time I needed that security you know and yeah. uh, we were late leaving Auckland, going to Vancouver, and the lady came around and she said, oh, you know, my connection time in Vancouver to Toronto wasn't very long. And she goes, I don't know if you're going to make it. And I can't run because of my incoordination. And um, I said, well, I can't really run. She goes, don't worry about it. And she came back two minutes later and there was someone, she goes, I've got someone who's going to meet you and take you on one of those little carts, get your luggage and drive you where you need to be. And that made a huge difference. Wow, that's fantastic. Did you, know? did you let them know beforehand that, you know, you were stroke survivor? Um, I didn't let them know beforehand, but I let them know when I got on the plane. I think they asked or I said something. Yeah. And yeah, they, it was worth it. You know, I fell and broke my good hand and now I've ruptured my tendon and my good hand. And so you you kind of have to 
laugh or you're going to cry. Like, you know, if I had a few of those moments, you can make a, a choice whether to go, you know, he, you could be upset, but, uh, but I, I don't stay always upset now at these kind of moments. I kind of go, well, it is what it is. And it actually just tells me to slow down. And, you know, I was, I was putting pressure on myself to make this decision, you know, before I broke my hand and, you know, um, all this kind of stuff about, about work, et cetera. And, uh, lots of changes at work and 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 the one good thing because this happened i think it's kind of slowed me right down in order to catch my breath and have a few weeks or several weeks then to make that decision so i don't have to make any rash decisions and i think that's really important i think it's a, a reminder that you know you're going to be dealing with this kind of thing for the rest of your life there's a lot of positive things that can come out of it even though it's a struggle it's an ongoing struggle and you're adapting and learning and pursuing and yeah it really resonates with me you're going to be dealing with with this for the rest of your life but it's not the end of your life well thanks very much for being on the podcast oh you're welcome well, thanks for having me it's yeah. it's it's been great i mean your story is 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 really really fascinating and and uplifting and, and i really oh, thank appreciate you. it yeah thank you well I'm, I'm looking forward to to reading your book actually when it comes out as well so uh, yes no yeah absolutely okay well that's that's it then <laughs> thank you so much oh thank you bye-bye All right.